0: Happy Palm Sunday to you. I'm glad that you are here to, uh, to worship with us this morning. It's a great uh, day. It's also nice that it's a little bit warmer out these days. So, at least I'm thankful. I have a cleaner garage as a result, so that's how I spent my day yesterday. If you guys want to come over and take a look, it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you should eat off the floor, but it looks pretty good. <clears throat> Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, then I want to encourage you to take it up and turn with me to the Book of Colossians. We find ourselves at the very end of the book, chapter four. We'll be looking. We'll make our way through uh, the letter, the finishing uh, words of Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, then in the pew Bible, the pew back in front of you, there's a Bible there. You can find this reading on page 955. We would love to have you join us there uh, for our final study in the book of Colossians. We've been studying Paul's letter. It's a letter that he'd been writing. And he says at the end, he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. I don't know, when's the last time you received a handwritten letter? I don't receive letters very often, um, especially the handwritten kind. But a couple of weeks ago, probably about a month or so ago, I actually received two. They came to me from a couple of uh, young boys who are a part of the church. So I thought I'd share them with you because I thought they were really wise and insightful. Um, so the first one here, let's see, says, "Thank you for being my pastor. I appreciate you going up on stage and teaching us about God's word. I think you should be the pastor the pastor your whole entire life because you are a spectacular preacher of the word of God. Just insightful young children, I tell you. <laughs> Just wait, there's more. I know you wanted to hear more." Dear Pastor Platic Thank you for preaching to the church You are a really good pastor I think you are funny And a cool pastor See just Out of the mouth of babes You have funny stories You have really good prayers I like you as a pastor Because you're, really good, you're a really good preacher And you preach about a lot of interesting subjects Keep it up I think I will it's great a little encouragement, isn't it? Just from time to time, a couple handwritten notes. Well, this was Paul writing to the church in order that they might, he might encourage them on in faith. Actually, the reason he wrote this letter, he tells us. He told us back in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, let me, let me remind you of what he says. Can we get that? Oh, we should. Be, there we go. This is, what, this is his purpose. He is the one we proclaim, meaning Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in christ to this end i strenuously contend with all the energy christ so powerfully works in me why did he write the letter so that he might be able to teach and admonish this church with all wisdom. Why? So that they might become mature in Christ. That's why they were there, that they might be able to grow into maturity. And he says, and this is what I labor. This is the end of my, this is why I labor so hard and why I work so diligently is that they may continue to grow in wisdom and maturity. And that's why he was writing this. And then he continues to go on. And then he would say, he, as, as, you, as you already know as we've studied he said that Christ is the supreme being all of the glory all of the fullness of God is found in the very person of Jesus Christ and you and I as those who are followers of Jesus have been brought into that fullness and so therefore Christ is your very life he is writing them Christ is your life the, what is your life about? it is about Christ and who he is this was the, basically the first half of this letter that he continued to come back to. Our significance and value and self-worth is in Christ and in Christ alone. And then the back half, chapter three, and now into chapter four, he begins to get into some practical working working that out in each of our lives. We work that out in the church, that we are to bear with one another, that we are to love one another. And then he continued on and said, because you are united with Christ and Christ is your life. Then he talked about the implications of that in our marriages and then how we parent our children and interact with our children. And last time we were together, we looked at the way in which the implication, because Christ is our life, this is how we view our our work as, as an employee and as an employer. And now we find ourselves coming into a flurry of different things at the end of, of his letter. It's as if he just started kind of uh, he sped things up and just started rambling off, just a, a rattling off several things. And so he says, "Here's what we're going to be thinking about today. He says, "We need to devote ourselves to devote ourselves. First, he says, we need to devote ourselves. To prayer. The first thing he addresses is in verse 2 Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Let's just pause there. He begins by saying, Now devote yourselves to prayer. The mature Christian life is a prayerful life. Someone who is growing into maturity in faith, they will you cannot grow into maturity in faith without having a, a a vibrant prayer life. Without having a vibrant prayer life. The mature Christian life is a prayerful life. And Paul says, now how what does that actually mean for us? One, I want to suggest to you that a vibrant mature prayer life, someone who is devoted to prayer means that they have open eyes. Open eyes, he says that we are to be watchful. Or, in another version, it says we are to be wakeful. We are to be wakeful. I don't know if you've um, if you've uh, been exposed to this, but there's there's the, there's the idea of, especially on social media, uh, is the, the idea of stay the idea of stay woke. Have you heard that? Have you heard that stay, hashtag stay woke? And it's, it kind of is used in reference for those who are thinking as individuals, uh, they're thinking for themselves, they see way, the ways of racism and sexism and classism and how those affect their lives on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's, it, the, the hashtag stay woke reminds people to look past the narrative that is provided for them and it's supposed to remind the people to, to recognize that there's another story, there's another way to think about these things. And I want to suggest to us this morning that what Paul is saying is that we are to stay woke, Hmm. that there's a narrative of our lives, but for Christian people, they understand that there's another narrative, there's a deeper story, there's something else that's, that's going on, something else that's deeper, that's actually more real and more significant that there is the, re- the normal routine, as if you like, of our lives. We get up, we have breakfast, we do what we do, we go to work, we go to school, we do our lives. But Paul says that's insufficient for the Christian, that there's a deeper story, there's a deeper reality, there's something far more significant, that we need to have a wakefulness and a watchfulness in our prayer life. That there is, a, there is another reality that is functioning and a truer reality that is at work. And it is for the Christian Who is able to understand these things? Paul says, remember, there's a story under the story. There's a reality that's deeper than just the narrative, just our office or just our family activities or just packing lunches every morning. There's a spiritual reality and we are to be watchful. We are to be prayerful. We need to be sensitive to these spiritual realities of every single moment of every single day of all of our lives. We need to be watchful and thankful, he says. We need to have open eyes. But then he says, we need to pray not only for our open eyes, but we need to pray for open doors, open doors. In verse 3, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, he says to the church, now, I want you to pray... that that there may be open doors for the message of the gospel. That Paul is realizing, I can't force the doors to be open. I can't force create, I can't force conversations about Jesus. I can't force sensitive, open hearts. What I can do is pray that God will show me the open doors that he's providing for me. There's a dependence upon God. If any of you who are parents know that there's certain conversations you just can't force with your children. It can't happen. You can't make them be sensitive to your teaching. You can't make them be sensitive to your leading. It is, but it, but it is in prayer that we say, God, as you are opening doors, help me to be able to see those things, see those realities in order that I might be able to see the open door. And Paul says, I need you as a church to be praying that as I go out into my ministry, that God is open doors and that I see those doors being opened. He says, I I want you to pray that I might have the opportunity to talk about the mystery of Jesus Christ, but I can't force that to happen. I need you to be praying for me that I might be able to see the open doors. And And I wonder if that's a part of the regular prayer of your life, that you are praying for open doors to be able to have conversations about Jesus? How routinely are you praying that God will open your eyes that you might have open doors to have a conversation about Jesus with your spouse? How often are you praying that you might be able to have an open door and see the open door, a window of conversation to talk about Jesus with your children? How, how often are you praying about open doors that you might be able to have a conversation with a coworker or with, with a neighbor or with the mailman or woman? we, he says, I, Paul says, I need you to pray for me that I might do that, that I might be open to those opportunities, that I might see those things. And it, there, is, there is about, there is about this, this work a dependence upon God. Even just this morning, I received an email from members of our church who are overseas right now in order to, to, to be able to teach other people about Jesus, but their prayer was that they might have open doors for the gospel, that they might have open doors. And so this morning, I prayed for them, the very same thing, that Paul was asking that they pray. And I invite you to be in prayer for me, that as the pastor of your church, that I would see the open doors, that God has presented me and my family and my life to, to make much of Jesus. That just because I stand up here with a microphone doesn't mean that, that, I'm ever, that my eyes are opened any more than yours. Because I pray for you and you pray for me. We need to pray for one another that we might be, be uh, uh, our eyes might be open to the spirit, to spiritual realities and that when we see the doors may be open, that God would open those doors and we would see it. And then we pray, thirdly, we pray that we would have an open mouth. Verse four pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You think if there's anyone who uh, to proclaim it clear you clearly you think it would be the Apostle Paul, don't you you think I mean I mean he wrote so much of the Bible you think if there's anybody who kind of had it down, kind of figured it out, it was probably paul nope even even the apostle Paul says yes i I, I need to, I, we pray that we might be have open eyes to be able to see the spiritual reality and pray that there may be open doors to the message of the gospel and pray that I don't screw it up. <laughs> that's essentially what he says. Pray that I know the right words to say. Pray that I might be able to pr- proclaim Jesus clearly as, as I ought. It's a prayer, it's a request. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have as a church so often is this idea that we, we know that we, have, um, that, that we ought to share about Jesus. We understand the reasons why we ought to tell other people about Jesus and have those conversations. We even have the conviction that we should. We even have the desire to, and maybe even look for opportunities to, but so many times feel like we just don't have the words. The, we're scared we won't have the right words. Well, Take encouragement that even the Apostle Paul said, hey, pray that I might have the right words. There is about this idea of sharing. That you can learn a whole different, lot of different ways to talk about Jesus and to share the story of Jesus, but the bottom line is all of this life, the mature Christian life, is about being dependent upon God. It's about being dependent upon him. God, will you make me sensitive to the spiritual realities of my everyday life? God, will you make me sensitive that I might be able to see the open doors that are open doors for me, that won't be open doors for anybody else, but they're open doors that God's given you, and say, God, will you give me the words? Will you give me the right words? It's a, it's a it's a life of dependence upon him say, with a, a sense of confidence knowing that God will actually provide all of those things as we come to him in prayer devote yourselves he says to prayer devote yourselves to prayer secondly he says then be devoted to wisdom verse 5 be wise in the way in which you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul instructs the church to be wise in their interactions and discerning in the way in which they act and think and talk with those who are outside of the faith. We need to be devoted to being wise in our interactions, the way we think and talk and act with those who are outside the faith those who are not followers of Jesus. We need to think about these things. We need to be wise. You know, we live in a culture now where it's become more and more routine for people to have no religious affiliation or what, they, what pollsters call the nuns, that when they poll people, uh, they're, 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 there's a rise of the nuns, people that when they say, what's your religious affiliation, they put none on a survey. And that's been rising in our culture. And they talk about all the reasons why that is. And one of the primary reasons is that this idea of cultural Christianity has now been pushed off to the side, that people are no longer just proclaiming to be Christians because somehow it will get them elected to office, or somehow there's an expectation that people will, you need to have some sort of connection to a church in order to be an effective member of society. That's just not the case anymore. And so, therefore, more and more so, the, the church is kind of being pushed to the margins of, of culture and society. And so, therefore, this idea of being, of being wise in the way in which we interact with those who are outsiders it takes on even greater significance and importance. Because the, because the church is continuing, the, the evangelical Christian church is continuing to get pushed to the margins. And so, therefore, we'll have opportunities more and more to interact with those who are not of the faith. And he says, you need to be wise in your interactions with them. What does wisdom look like? What does wisdom look like? There's lots of things, ways we could answer that question. Let me give you three thoughts. First, wisdom with outsiders requires that you are with outsiders. You say, well, that's not brilliant. I know, but if you want to be wise in the way your interactions with outsiders, you need to be with outsiders. Because it's so easy for us as Christian people to spend all of our thinking and all of our time with people who are like us, who think like us, who believe like us, because it's safe, because it's comfortable, because I like it, because it's easy. But if we're going to be wise in the way in which we interact with those who are outside the faith, it means that we need to be with people who are outside the faith, and we need, that means that we'll be in uncomfortable situations because they don't think like we do, they don't talk like we do, they don't act like we do because they don't believe what we believe. But we need to, we need to be engaged with those who are outside the faith. Second is this, you need to remember that you represent Jesus that when we are with outsiders, we're not to be like them, but we're to be with them, and to, we are to remember that we are, to, we are the representatives of Jesus. One uh, scholar, William Hendrickson, puts it this way. Oh, maybe not. He puts it this way. Let me read it to you. Is it here? Oh, there it is. Behave wisely towards outsiders Always bearing in mind that though few read the sacred scrolls, all men read you. Behave wisely towards outsiders. Keeping in mind that though they may never read the Bible, or he refers to the sacred scrolls, they will read you. They will read your life. They will read your interactions. Because why? Because you are representative of Jesus when you are with outsiders. Mm -hmm. so be careful what you put on the back of your car right so you put those little fish on the back of your car well-intentioned saying yes this uh, I'm, I'm i'm identifying as a christian then be careful how you drive be careful how quick you go and the gestures you make because you're representative of jesus if you're coming to church and you get pulled over by a wonderful Maple Grove police officer, please don't tell them you're coming here as if somehow it's going to get you <laughs> off the hook. Just say, I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. Right? We need to be careful. We need to remember because it's easy to forget. It's easy for us to forget that we are the representatives of Jesus Christ and that they may never see They may never read the Bible, but they will read your life, and you get to represent Jesus. Thirdly is this, to to be wise towards outsiders, to be with outsiders, to remember that you represent Jesus. And thirdly, is to be intentional and thoughtful and purposeful in your reactions with and interactions with them. That wisdom doesn't happen by accident. It just, it doesn't. You need to be purposeful and intentional when thinking out your relationships with those who are outside the faith. How are you going to interact with your neighbors? How are you gonna interact with your coworkers? How are you going to be with people in order that you might represent Christ in a positive way? How are you and your wife, how are you and your children talking about these things, thinking about these things in order that you might be able to represent Christ well with those who are outside the faith? He gives us, and then he goes on to say, okay, but there's something even more specific we need to give consideration of. Verse six, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. One of the, one of the primary ways we represent Christ in the, to, to, to the outside world is by the way we speak, by the way we talk. And this includes social media, right? This includes Facebook. This includes Twitter. This includes what you do out in that space. The way in which we use our language. What we say matters. We should always take great care to ensure that our language is full of grace, that we are speaking graciously with others, that the way in which we talk about other people is a way of grace. And I'm not saying you somehow divorced from truth. You somehow just swipe things under the rug, and so therefore you just always love people. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can, you can speak truth in a way that, that, is, that is respectful and gracious to others. And it ought to be the expectation of Christians towards all people, themselves, other Christians, but also those who are outside the faith, that, we are, that our conversation is full of grace. That, that this idea of backbiting, the idea of backstabbing, the, the, the cutting other people down in order that we might be able to get ahead at the office. No, no, none of that should be a part of the way in which we talk. None of that should be a part of our language. And if it is, then repent and stop tomorrow, today, now. Because our, our conversation is to be full of grace. And, and also, he says, and seasoned with salt. An interesting metaphor that he uses, an interesting word picture. Because salt, in one sense, adds flavor. The other day, because the weather's been nice, I, I got the grill out and I was grilling chicken and I was also grilling zucchini. And so once I had finished, I walked in really proud with my, you know, chicken and zucchini and ready for all of the wonderful accolades of my wife and children because I'd labored over the grill. It didn't happen. My wife says, uh-huh. "Did you put salt on this? Um, needs a little needs a little salt. Why? Because it, the zucchini needed a little something, something besides just my touch. It needed salt." Needed salt because it adds flavor. So our conversation, so our conversation ought to add something. Ought to add flavor to those whom we're having conversation with, to to, with our neighbors and with our coworkers and with our our family members. That that because they're in conversation with you and because your identity is in Christ, there's something about a conversation with you that they don't get other places. They were they were they were so kind and so compassionate and so and yet so. Different than anybody I've ever had conversation with. Because our the salt adds flavor. Well, salt also is a preservative. That in our conversation, in the way in which we speak, when we that we can preserve other people and we can preserve culture, that the way in which we interact with others and the way in which we speak with others, as people start to cut down other people, we can turn the conversation towards something else. As there is gossip that starts to happen, as we see it happening out on Facebook and social media, you have an opportunity to preserve culture. You have an opportunity to shift conversation. Because salt, not only does it add flavor, but it's a preservative. This week, I was in conversation with a friend of mine, he's a pastor friend of mine, and he was talking about, we talked about a a lot of different things, but one of the things he talked about was his neighbor. Now, he's probably about 65 or somewhere in that age range, but his neighbor, they're a young family, and they just had a, a child, the couple that lived next door to them, and they'd, over the course of time, built relationships with this particular family. Well, they had just had a conversation. He was uh, out, because the weather turned, they, everybody was out and about, and he was having a conversation with his neighbor, and they knew them well. Um, and she, he says, when you talk to her, every other word is a swear word. It's every other word, just, just, and there she is with her baby. And, and so he, he said to her, he said, um, do you do you ever think about, do you, do you know that how your child will learn to swear? And the girl said, her grandmother And he said, oh, well, have you ever considered the way in which you speak around your children? And that maybe, maybe that she might be learning it from you. She'd never considered it, never. It's a preservative. It's a conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt in order that he might be able to, she had never considered it before. Well, this is strange, this is strange conversation that this man's having with her. But because of his relationship with her, he was able to have this conversation. Well, there's a third thing. There's a third thing that Paul talks about, that we are to be devoted to wisdom. We are to be devoted to prayer, and we are to be be devoted to people. And that's the balance of the chapter here. If you were to go into my parents' basement... Uh, the, of their home. It was, they still live in the home that I grew up in um, and they've remodeled the, the basement. They finished the basement and um, if you were to go down there, then it would be, um, you would find all of this paraphernalia from I'm one of four children. And so you will see uh, pictures of team pictures, right, of, of when, I was in, when I played soccer or when I was on the baseball team or my sister was uh, playing soccer or all the different teams and all these different pictures that are sort of spread all over the basement walls. And, and, and so if you were to see a picture of my, my basketball team when I was in high school, then there is the team picture. And I could tell you where, where my classmates went. I could tell you that Jamie Lyron went on to play uh, for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I can tell you that Matt Sladkey, who also happened to be the guy who gave me a ride home from school or from practice every day, went on to play for the Naval Academy, play basketball for the Naval Academy. I could tell you where a number of these people are because there was a, there was a period of time when I saw these gentlemen every single day and we went out and we laid, we laid all of our, our sweat and tears and we, we worked really hard in order that we might be able to play the game well, play the game of basketball well. And there's a picture that shows who those guys were. Paul gives us a picture, a picture of the guys who have been influential or have been a part of his team as he's been doing ministry. If you remember, he wrote this letter from jail. He was writing this from jail to the church in Colossae. And now he says, now let me me just tell you, church, I gotta tell you, church, about my team. I wanna introduce you to my teammates who have been with me as we've been working out the cause of the gospel. I have been laboring that you might grow into maturity and these are the people that have been on my team who have been with me, who have been praying for you, who have been a part of my teammates. And we could take time to go through all of them that are listed here, but we won't. I just want to highlight a couple. I want to highlight a couple, I think, purposefully and intentionally. The first is the first one he mentions, Tychicus. Tychicus, he says, verse 7, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. I want to tell you about Tychicus. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord, and I'm sending him with a message that he might encourage your hearts. Tychicus was with Paul for four years. Four years of his public ministry. Paul is writing from jail, and guess who's next to him? Not in jail, but supporting him while he's in jail. Tychicus is there because he was there in all of the different journeys. If you were to go look, this, was just a, this is a faithful brother who has been walking alongside the Apostle Paul because Paul doesn't do ministry by himself. He always had a teammate with him. He always had someone with him. And Tychicus was there and played a vital role. He's mentioned like three or four times throughout the whole of the Bible. You, Many of you have never even heard of him before, even right now. And you you skipped right over it. And said, I'm not going to try to pronounce that name. I'm just going to keep moving through. It's the end of the letter. Nobody cares about this stuff. Anyway, let's just wrap it up. But this is a man who Paul says, he's a dear faithful brother. He has been with me through thick and through Thin. there's nothing flashy about him there's nothing significant about him other than he was with me always and now he's my mailman and I'm sending you this letter and he's going to come tell you exactly what's been going on in our ministry and our life over these last time over these last days and months We need people in the gospel ministry who aren't seeking f- amazing accolades but are faithful brothers and sisters who continually to be committed to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are just continued day in and day out to walk with one another. That's a significant and important role. You say, I never want to strap on a microphone and stand up on a stage. I never want to be out on the front. I just want to come alongside and I just want to labor in prayer and I just want to come and serve and I just want to be with you. That's what Titicus was to Paul and and the church needs people that will be stable and steady for the cause of Jesus Christ. Three weeks ago, I got a phone call. I actually got a voicemail from Carl Anderson. <clears throat> you don't know Carl Anderson. He's a mechanic in the east side of Cleveland. Great mechanic. He calls me just to say, I'm praying for you, brother. He was an elder in the church, that, he was one of the elders in the church that affirmed my call to the gospel ministry, out of nowhere. He just calls. If you met Carl, he's unassuming. He's not flashy. He's a blue collar guy. he's a guy who's committed to the church of Jesus Christ he's committed to the scriptures and turns out to me and that means a whole heck of a lot we need people like Tychicus we need people like Carl Anderson in our lives these names matter we need them on our team the next one he mentions is Onesimus do you know Onesimus if you don't know Onesimus then then this afternoon go to the book of Philemon it's a short little book a few paragraphs but you'll learn all about Onesimus Onesimus he says to the church there he says you know Onesimus look he says "Uh, he's coming meaning Tychicus is coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother who is one of you they will tell you everything that is happening here Onesimus is coming they must have said what Onesimus because Onesimus was a bit of a mess. He was a slave, and he ran away from his owner, Philemon. And then he bumped into Paul as he is running away. And now Paul, the apostle, says, I want you to know, I want you to know, this same Onesimus is a dear, faithful brother. He had, a, he had messed up. He had, a, he had baggage. He had a messed up path, past. And now the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and saying, "I want to come sending you an SMS. They they would have said, "What? He's the guy who ran out." Yeah, but then he had an encounter with Jesus, and now he is a dear, faithful brother. And one of the areas of ministry that I oversaw years ago was uh, a marriage mentoring ministry. And as I was developing that ministry and as I was doing the work for that ministry, then I, I was recruiting people that they might be mentors. And I went to Dave Belville. He was a part of my men's ministry as well. I went to Dave Belville and I said, Dave, I want you and your wife, Lori, to think about becoming marriage mentors. And he said, he stopped me and goes, do, do, you, do you understand where we've been? Do, do, you, do you know what we've done? And I said, yeah, I do because Dave had had an affair on his wife and went to the very brink of divorce and she, to get back at her husband, had an affair on him. And then Jesus got involved in their relationship. And if you would have met Dave, and Dave's now with the Lord, but if you would have met Dave and Lori and watched the love that they had for Jesus and for one another, you never would have guessed that they would have been where they'd been. And he said, do you know where we've been? I said, absolutely know where you've been. Who better to help people on the brink than someone who's been on the brink themselves and watched the power of Jesus restore a life? Yes, we all have brokenness. Yes, we all have baggage. And now God has, you know, the healing power of Jesus Christ. Who better to tell couples in the middle of brokenness and despair and pain than you who've seen God show up? And they joined my team. And God used them. God used them. We need people in the church who can speak with absolute personal power about the healing power of Jesus Christ. That this is who I was, but this is now who I am. And it's only because of the grace of God by the power of Jesus Christ that I stand before you. And if God can use me, then great. We need that in the church. We need that in our lives third person that that is a part of this list third person is mark the cousin of barnabas mark the cousin of barnabas that's what he says here in verse 18 my fellow prisoner aristarchus sends you greetings as does mark the cousin of barnabas you have received instructions about him if he comes to you welcome him that's all it says do you know mark mark the cousin of barnabas mark was with paul on his first missionary journey and then as they were going along the journey, you know what happened? He bailed on them because the missionary journey got too hard. It got too hard. And so Mark says, I'm, I can't do this. I'm going, I'm out. So Paul and Barnabas go to the second, towards Paul's second missionary journey and then Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark along. And Paul says, no, Mark's not coming. Barnabas says, no, we should bring Mark along. And Paul says, no, he's not coming. And then so Barnabas and Paul separate ways and Paul goes on. He goes, and they split ways themselves. And now, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's writing about Mark, because Mark is with him, and Mark sends his greetings, because Mark is back on the team. Mark is back on the team because God worked. God worked at restoring relationship within the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ that at some point along the journey at some point along the journey that Mark and Paul came to reconciliation and restoration because of the message of Jesus Christ moving forward. A few years ago now, I had a conversation with one of my uncles, and it's funny how those conversations happen. When you're, you know, your uncles are old and adult, and when you're young and kids, and then all of a sudden, they start talking to you like adults and people, and we had an adult conversation the conversation went along with he, he and his wife and family had been at this church for a really long time. And then the pastor did something, or there was a disagreement between my uncle and the pastor. And my uncle and, and family left the church for several years. And then God began to work in my uncle's heart in a way that he hadn't worked before. And my uncle began to realize the error of his ways, of way that he didn't act right. And at some point, my uncle went back to that pastor and apologized and said I, I was wrong and he, and he said I shouldn't have done whatever I did and then he went back and I, I remember, remember listening to my, my uncle share this story with me and the humility that he, that he was sharing and as he and his family went back and joined the church they're still serving faithfully at that particular church right now because there is a restoration that needs to happen within the church we, we get it wrong we mess up we, 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 don't, we, we need to bear with one another, and yet sometimes we need to come back. And so my, this pastor and my uncle make up, and they restore fellowship and restoration. Paul and Mark restore fellowship and restoration. Why? So that others may be presented mature in Christ. This is the church. Paul's writing. He's saying, I need you to know this is my team. There's there's guys that are just steady, eddy, faithful. There's guys with baggage. There's people with baggage. And there's brokenness that needs to be restored. And yet this is my team that God used in order for the effectiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, that's the same way that God continues to work in his church these days. And I'm glad to be a part of it. May, May God inspire generations to come because of the way in which we seek to present one another mature in Christ. Let me pray. Father, for so many people that you have used to be a part of the team to make my, make, to present me more and more mature in Christ, Father, I give you great thanks for the way that's happening in our church in these days. I give you thanks and praise. Father, I praise you for this letter, the, the pastoral wisdom of the Apostle Paul to this church. May we continue to think about and resonate with the story uh, of, of, of what it means to have Jesus Christ as our very life as we seek to work these things out. We do so for your glory and your praise and your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.